So did you think we would see Eddington this quickly again? Uh, not necessarily, but uh, I know one of the issues we had with the last Eddington episode where they catch him was that, you know, it felt like there was nothing in between that. So actually the fact that we have this, how, how long ago was that? That was like 10 episodes ago. It the wasn't fact, that long ago. I think the fact that we had another epic Eddington episode so quickly gave it a sense of momentum, which I actually found I liked. Hmm. He is still pretty fresh in the mind and all of that. It's sad that, you know, he's done as a character now because, you know, he's he's dead. We're, you know, we're done with Eddington. But, you know, at the same time... Or are we? I mean, to be fair, Star Trek, it's not that there haven't been resurrected characters in Star Trek, but it's like Spock. Yeah. You know, they, there are very, they are very few and far between. This is not one of those... Which is actually something I do appreciate about the Star Trek universe, that death is usually permanent yeah unless it has something to do with the actual plot of the episode mm-hmm. it's some sort of magical doctory thing that yeah you know mccoy or crusher or bashir or doing. there's a time travel thing anyway it's very very sparing yeah i uh, i don't know i this episode is always a weird one for me because i don't know that i like it very much i feel that way about kind of both episodes this week like i wanted to like both of these episodes very much I appreciate the existence of both episodes. Yeah. But there was, again, these were episodes that, I don't know, maybe I, sometimes I say like it feels like they needed a little salt, but I think they might have needed a little more than that. Empak Noir particularly, but. I like um, Empak Noir a little more than this episode, only because I think it does a good job of a few certain things, but, you know, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Yeah, Blaze of Glory to me is. It's an episode that doesn't really feel that necessary. Like, I don't know what the point of it is. Yeah, if the I mean, point, If the point is just to put a definitive capper on the Eddington mm-hmm. story, I kind of feel like they did that already. I don't know that we really need to redeem and humanize Eddington by giving him a wife and giving him a, 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 a glorious death. Well, I guess a, but, lot, a lot of the... This episode really hinges on whether or not we feel sympathy for the Maquis or not. And I think the franchise as a whole doesn't know whether we're supposed to feel sympathy for the Maquis or not, in a way. Because I think about, uh, for example, Ensign Rowe's last appearance in which, you know, we are, you know, that episode... Whoa, whoa, you're calling Ensign Rowe a witch? Jeez, man. What? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, But that episode very much hinges on the understanding that the Maquis may be a bit extremist, but they're doing the right thing. And, you know, they are addressing a failing of – and those kind of a things. Yeah. Like, and this episode, I think we definitely need to understand the Maki as people who are just trying to defend their homes. And we need to see the slaughter of the Maki as, as a terrible thing. Yeah, and the thing that, – that's what I really want to talk about is the fact that the Cardassians, with the help of the Dominion, essentially murdered – like all of the Domin- all of the Maquis, except for the ones that are hiding on this couple base. dozen people at most, yeah. Like, could they have mentioned that before? That seems like a really big deal to just kind of casually drop into this episode. Like, oh yeah, remember when the Dominion wiped out all the Maquis two weeks ago, but we didn't say anything about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Like that seems 
Like this, that to me tells me or, that you know, Deep I Space even, Nine is not even really that interested in the Maquis, yeah. and it feels like this is a way to get rid of that storyline. Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah, to be frank, I'm not that interested in the Maquis either, so I'm fine with that. But, but I think it's because DS Nine has done a shitty job of characterizing really who the Maquis. Oh, it are. has absolutely. I mean, when I saw that, when so I saw the when I saw the TNG episode, the final Ensign Row episode. uh where she ends up joining them. That was my first experience with who they are. And I said, you know, at the time, oh, well, you know, I'm sure we'll see a lot more of the Maquis. And you said, yeah, you know, they'll be in there. But, and, you know, part of the implication is there. I mean, we don't have an episode where, you know, the only the only the, face of the Maquis that we really have is Eddington himself. The, the problem with, yeah, and I agree with that. And I think, and, and remember, I mean, they do mention Cal Hudson all the way back from the Maquis two-parter as well. Yeah. But... And that's the first time that he's been mentioned, I think, you know, in, in, in three years or something like that. He was someone I'd forgotten until this episode and only vaguely remembered. And I kind of like the fact that the show drops that name in so casually. It obviously mm-hmm. affects Cisco a lot because they were very close. But the show doesn't say, as you remember, Cal Hudson, your friend yeah. from Starfleet. Like, the show is trying to do a little bit of, of it does, continuity with, with yeah. rewarding viewers that have been sticking with the show and paying attention without having to sort of, like, spoon feed it to people that haven't been. And in context that you know that it's clear in that exchange that this is somebody that you know cisco knew and Mm -hmm. whose death is affecting him if we don't know quite the circumstances around it or it doesn't yeah yeah but i think my my main problem with the entire dominion thing and we can pretty much say and i don't think i'm really spoiling anything by saying that that at this point it's essentially over they don't the maki yeah yeah you know there there's there's a maki element to voyager as well uh, which we'll find out about okay. in, in a few months, but and it's only a few months. It's hard oh to my believe. God. I know, but we've got after this episode, we've got the the season finale, and then we've got two more seasons. We're about to hit the season. So we've got twenty wow. twenty seven more episodes of of track about oh my about God. Deep Space Nine, which is hard to believe. But let's let's not be depressed yet. Um, is that the show Deep Space Nine? Really, I think needed it the, the the main problem with it is is it showed the maquis always through the lens of starfleet and, and specifically through the lens of cisco yes and the the problem with that is it doesn't give us a good sense of who the maquis are yeah. i think that preemptive strike did a much better job mm. giving us a, a sense of who the maquis are than any episode of deep space nine ever yeah. did and it's, that's one that, and frankly i wonder if i had not seen this episode that episode I mean, of course, every, you know, chronologically, those episodes happened a long time, you know, already, but that was... It didn't happen that long ago. I mean, you're talking about the the second season of DS9, so you're only talking about three years. But still, you know, there's been other appearances of the Maquis. I guess what what my point is, my my first experience with the Maquis was that humanizing one that Ensign Rose saw. Yeah. And so that definitely... I definitely do have some sympathies because that episode kind of makes it clear that, you know, this is the Federation dropping the ball on this treaty. These, you know, the results of this were terrible and they were, you know, maybe unforeseen, but, you know, and now Starfleet isn't doing what they need to. And, you know, these are more trying to protect themselves. Well, because I, I always wonder about this because, you know, the the, the Starfleet and the Federation uh, has kind of a weird relationship. A lot of times Starfleet stands in for the Federation civilian government, even though it really shouldn't. I think m- mainly because Star Trek has never really been that good at world building. Yeah, Deep I don't Space think Nine they necessarily is- also want to create it. 
if you if you have a situation where the Federation, civilian government, and Starfleet disagree on something, that's what we call civil war, and we don't want that in this show. Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean the, the the closest that we've ever gotten to that is is kind of like the Homefront Paradise yeah. Lost two part of where you had Starfleet now fighting I, each other. Which I will say, I mean, this is certainly not what the Brian Fuller show should be, but. Maybe the series after that might be interesting to have that kind of a take on it, you know, to have a DS9 style show which is dealing with, you know, conflict between Starfleet and the Federation. But anyway. So you want to see Starfleet conduct a military coup? I don't I don't, but you know, <laughs> definitely that Also uh, Starfleet is not the military. Well. But yeah, I think that that's kind of the the issue here is that the Maquis has always been seen through the lens of Starfleet. Starfleet is obviously, you know, the the diplomatic and political, and 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 you know, this is their 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 flag going forward out into the galaxy. And this is who people meet the first time that they encounter the Federation, most most likely, right? Yeah. And they're not a military, right? They're they're exploration. They're peaceful. They're out there to find new worlds, new civilizations, all that stuff that was said in the opening of TOS and TNG. But the Maquis thing is. Uh, Partially it's an issue because DS9 never really seemed that interested in it. Partially because this is not something that Star Trek as a franchise is very good at building. Yeah. You know, the Maquis are Federation civilians. When has Star Trek ever done a really good job of showing us what Star, what Federation civilian life is like? Not not often. The only, the, the only one that's really coming to mind is the one where, uh, and this isn't even Federation civilians, but where Jake is dealing with the uh, – at the hospital. Uh, right. Where And those – I mean the doctors, are they military doctors or are they civilian doctors? I don't know if the episode I, made it clear or cared. But I, Yeah, I don't think it really – I think they were supposed to be Starfleet, but who really knows? I mean it's really any – you know, to be fair, because Bashir's there, it's kind of anybody with a medical – you know, who knows how to put a Band-Aid on right. the area. But, right. you know. and And that's the thing really is that – I don't have a good sense of the Maquis' real motivations here. You know, they set this up as saying, okay, well, essentially the Cardassian Union and the Federation swap some planets. And now there are Cardassian colonies that are on the Federation side of the border when they used to not be. And there are some Federation colonies that are now on the Cardassian side of the border and they used to not be. So essentially what we're saying is that Federation citizens that go out and colonize new worlds in federation territory that's one of the ways in which the federation extends its reach across the galaxy okay fine we also have this idea that the colonists value their homes and value their uh freedom i guess or their kind of frontier lifestyle efficiency i mean more more than they value their federation citizenship and their federation uh, you know sort of their membership in the federation well i would say and 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 this and you know i'll I'll let you talk in a minute because i kind of want to get this out is that primarily what that says to me is that these are colonies that have must have been there for a long time, right? Because if you're yeah. on a, if you're in a colony world for five years, you may not really care that much that this happens, and you might just go somewhere else. So, okay, these are people. Yes, that, and there are probably people in those colonies who did leave when sure. the borders were, you know, as a whole, the colony was not shut down, but maybe they did lose, you know, half of their people. But I guess that's really what it comes down to is, you know, it's portraying the Federation as stupid, essentially. I mean. It it makes the Federation civilian government and Starfleet has to support this, right? I think that Cisco is very conflicted about this because 
he knows that these are good people. He knows that they don't want to, uh, you know, yeah. he doesn't want them to be killed. And he does, you know, all these things, right? I mean, he has a different issue with Eddington because Eddington was a Starfleet man and left to join the Maquis. And he feels that that's a betrayal of him yeah. personally and he professionally. He feels personally betrayed by him. And but, that's fair. And I think that also that's another reason why the Maquis stuff gets so muddled is that it gets caught up in this Cisco-Eddington personal rivalry when... Really, I don't know that that's that interesting. I mean, certainly. I mean, I will say the show is very aware that that's what. I mean, that's half of Eddington's lines in both this last episode and this one is to the effect of, you know, you're only doing this because of me. You know, you, you know, Eddington all but says, you know, you, your opinions of the Maquis are relevant because everything you're doing is because you're pissed off at me. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, that's probably the right way to go. You don't want to have this sort of nebulous idea about the Maquis being against the Federation because of X reasons, and it doesn't have any sort of connection to our characters whatsoever, right? But, I don't know, the Maquis, the Maquis, the, the whole concept of the Maquis to me, it's not a big problem but it is fundamentally flawed because the 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 show was not interested in really fleshing it out in any sort of realistic fashion you know think about how the show has done an amazing job of fleshing out bejor of mm-hmm. fleshing out cardassia of fleshing out uh, uh Ferengi, you know ferenginar of fleshing out the klingons even you know the dominion all of these the different Hadar, yeah. the jemhadar like all of these different alien species and all of these different societies and cultures the show has done a very good job at fleshing out and it really fell down with the with the Maquis. Yeah, it and to a lesser degree the circle, which was a le- lot lesser of a of a deal than the Maquis have been. We only really saw that in a couple of episodes, but still, like the show doesn't really know how to handle the what the circle the what wasn't that? Are you playing along? <laughs> um, yeah, or what is it? Or the Orion Syndicate, for example. The show yeah, I the mean, show doesn't know how to deal with a shadowy criminal organization. Yeah, Deep Space Nine is not perfect. Yeah, Let, let's put Shikar, it out there. The Shakar resistance, in a way, isn't quite as you know. Certainly, that's a lot better done because one of the main characters, you know, talks about it, you know, enough, but. You know, even that is a little nebulous in some ways. Yeah, and I think that that's really a problem because, I, you know, I kind of want to spin this out to its logical conclusion because, you know, I am interested in politics. And I am interested in, in yeah. um, you know, that sort of thing. And so you look at it and you say, okay, the Federation obviously made this decision, this bad treaty. You know, Picard thinks it's a bad treaty. Cisco probably thinks it's a bad treaty. A lot of people in the Federa- on the Federation Council probably think it's a bad treaty. Yeah, and-, and probably, you know, you get the sense that this treaty was made because it was the only thing that they could. That it, it, they weren't going to make a treaty that would make everybody happy. That was off the table. They think they kind of realized that maybe they couldn't make both the Kardashians and the Fe- and the Federation mostly happy. So they decided to make everybody the least miserable. Right? And it's because... a shitty. It's a shitty thing they could agree to, but the only thing they could agree to. Well, it seems like the primary aim of the treaty was to give the Cardassians enough so that they wouldn't start another war. And that's a fine goal. And the Federation is a peaceful organization that wants to solve issues diplomatically, if at all possible. But, you know, there is that line in one of the episodes, and I forget which one it is, but essentially, I think it may have been in Preemptive Strike or, or, or previous to that, where... You know, essentially, the Federation government forced these colonists not only to to suddenly be in the Cardassian Union mm-hmm. and be harassed by Cardassia, but also to strip them of their Federation citizenship yeah. 
which seems very, 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 very harsh, and basically to to leave them to the whims of Cardassia. And, you know, I can see why the Maquis would be upset by that. Yeah. I mean, there's that line in the episode where, where Eddington says they were very close to declaring themselves an independent nation. Now, you know, whatever, I guess. But... Yeah, it, 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 there's a lot of interesting ideas here that are never really formed enough. And if the show wants to ask hard questions about the Federation, I don't know that this is the way to do it. I mean, I feel like, it, yeah, again, I feel like it could have been. I thought that the Maquis was going to be a bigger part of the series because it was a name that I knew before getting into the series. Um, one of the things that I think. Well, was, to be fair, it was also named after something else. So, Oh, was it? What? Yeah, some 17th century okay. French thing or I something. I didn't know where that came from. But anyway, um, you know, one of, one of the other parts that I think also, you know, the show is also alluded to is that for Cardassians living in the Federation side of the border, seems fine. They're probably going to be left alone to do whatever they, you know. So it's really the Federation, former Federation citizens under the Cardassians. So. This very much seems like a treaty that was made to appease the Cardassians. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I don't think there's any question about that. And so that, you know, this is a fed tra- treaty that makes the Federation look a lot weaker. And this is really what it comes down to for me is that, yeah, totally. But I think what, what it also comes down to me f- to, 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 that, to that degree is that I can totally understand why the Maquis and why those colonists would be fucking furious at the Federation. Yeah. And yet... Nobody in Starfleet, Cisco, Cisco thinks that they're full of bullshit. Picard thinks they're full of bullshit. Everybody thinks they're full of bullshit. Like, why don't we ever have Kira talking about the Maquis, right? Like, I think that would have been a really, really yeah. interesting way to go. I think she would probably sympathize with them to a very large degree. Yeah. Because she is someone who was a resistance fighter against the Cardassian occupation of her, of her planet. And the Maquis are essentially fighting the same thing. Yeah. I mean, she does say something like that at some point. She's had a couple of lines, but it it doesn't ever really amount to anything or go anywhere. Why isn't there an issue, an episode where Kira is dealing with the Maquis? Right. Like, I think that would have gone a long way. And that could have been a perfect way for the show to delve into what the the structure and world build the Maquis yeah. a little bit more would be. Kira has to go on some sort of undercover mission to As somebody the who's Maquis. been in terror, who, who lived in terrorist cells through her entire youth and young adulthood. Now, you maybe know. maybe they felt that that was too much like preemptive strike and they didn't want to do that story again. That's possible. But it, it would have been a really, really good way to, to kind of give some flavor to the Maquis more. I guess to a degree, you know, this show has had a lot of things that it's been juggling, and the Maquis is one thing that it kept trying to, but kept dropping and kept trying to put in, and Eric is making very suggestive hand motions right now uh, to just describe juggling, so... um we have but fun yeah, sometimes, like, sorry. If they'd taken out, let's let's have the series with all the Maquis stripped out. I don't think, number one, we would notice Who cares? It, it wouldn't It would wouldn't feel like there was a hole in this. Like, if you stripped out the Klingon stuff. Now, I know you're not crazy about Klingon stuff, but I think the Klingon stuff has done very well. I would miss that not being in this series. Yeah. The Maquis stuff, it didn't do a good enough job of it. I wish it had either done a better job or not at all. 
Right, because it feels like it was kind of even from a previous version of the show. Because let's not forget yeah. that the Maquis two-parter, I believe, was from the second season. It's true. Be- before the introduction of the Jem'Hadar, before the introduction of the Dominion. Like, I guess, so, I, you know, I originally thought that, you know, I wondered if the two, you know, if, if a few of the stories were going to, you know, combine. What if the Maquis and the Dominion came to an agreement to get rid of the Cardassians, for example? Well, and that's and that's why it feels so churlish on the show's part to to throw off that that frankly, in, you know, disingenuous and insulting line about the Dominion, you know, essentially wiping out the the Maquis yeah. a while ago without even really mentioning it. Mm. It's like that's the clearest example to me that the show was just not interested in the Maquis at all and wanted to get rid of the storyline, which you know is fine again, but. Was this the way to do it? I don't know. And, you know, we're not, we haven't really talked a lot about the episode yet, but... I don't know how much, you know, there is to talk. You know, that Ed, he's on an adventure with Eddington. It turns out, you know, the Baki isn't actually regrouping. He's trying to help them, you know. If, I, I, then, do, I you do. Know. I mean, I do think that there there are some things to talk about only because this is the last appearance of Eddington. And, you know, he does it's... he does show himself to... I mean, obviously, he still cares about the Maquis. He has a wife. Okay, whatever. Um, but it, it, it is a good chance for the show to get in some more Eddington digs against Cisco, yeah. which is always fun to see. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I've never disagreed with Eddington. I think it's possible that Eddington certainly made some mistakes and he be- certainly betrayed the wrong guy. But at the end of the day, Eddington had his... A lot of the question is where does loyalty lie? And Eddington seems to believe that there are certain things that Starfleet stands for, uh, uh, you know, and there are maybe ideals of freedom and dignity for people. And, you know, we've got to stand up for the little guy and sure. stuff like that, sure. you know. And he, he is, from his view, Starfleet, by abandoning these people, abandoned those values and therefore, you know, in a way he's not betraying Starfleet because Starfleet already betrayed them. Yes. And so he, he's trying to make things right in a way. Cisco, though, believes that, you know, they're the, in ter- I mean, if we're going into D&D alignment, Cisco is much more of a lawful alignment than Eddington is. You know, Cisco does believe that as a member of Starfleet, you have certain things you need to follow and certain loyalties that you need to take. And your first loyalty is this and that kind of thing. And that's why he feels that Eddington has betrayed him. And, it, you know, I see both sides. But I see Eddington's side clear. I do, and I, I at I, the same time, I don't know what else Cisco could do because it's not like Cisco's ever, you know, it's not like Cisco was one of the people who wrote this treaty, for example. Or right, he, he's just he's just doing his job. He's enforcing it. There's going to be tons of policies he has to enforce that he's not going to. And and know. also, you know, I mean, let's not forget also that that you know, number one, it is not a Starfleet officer's job to to make policy for the Federation, right? Yeah. But the other thing too is let's not forget that when the when the show started five years ago. This was an essentially backwater station that yeah. was not important in any way. And yeah, he was supposed to shepherd Bajor into the Federation. It would be nice if Bajor was in the Federation, but you know, he's I a mean, minor they're diplomat. Not, they're at not. This point. Yeah. yeah, they're not that important. I mean, Bajor is not that important to the Federation. Now, suddenly, yeah. you know, five years later, you know, DS Nine is at the you know at the mouth of this wormhole that is also you know bringing in a hostile alien force that has infiltrated many governments in the Alpha Quadrant, has, you know, replaced 
Bashir yeah. has has essentially taken over Cardassia. And now, you know, he's in a much more, you know, Cisco is in a much more important and prominent position than he was when he agreed to, yeah. to, to take this assignment. And he himself has grown with the role as well. You know, the, certainly this, you know, Cisco now is different than he was five years ago. I mean, he's, and, you know, him being promoted to captain halfway through the series is kind of a sure. sign of that too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that that necessarily would have happened if all this other stuff hadn't yeah. happened. But I, you know, what what that leaves me with though is, you know, if this is the last time that we ever see Eddington, then is this a satisfying way for him to go out? I mean, I mean, was, it's the kind of the this... way you picture him. I mean, Dax has, you know, talks about this at the end, but his last appearance, you know, with the whole Les Misrab type stuff, there, um, you know, Eddington does see himself as a dramatic hero type, yeah. and. You know, Blaze of Glory is a perfect ti- you know, title for this. He dies nobly saving his wife and the man who's be- who swore revenge against him, you know, and he does this noble thing and he dies. You know, it's the most dramatic way that he can go out, and that's certainly one of the ways Eddington would probably want to have gone out. So, I mean, I think it's nice that he gets that, I guess. Yeah, and I think that the thing about Eddington, especially in this episode, is that I don't know that I really like Eddington very much. I don't think no. he's a person that I'd want to hang out with, but I respect him. I, I'm and, with you. And he's very, very good at what he does. And that this episode, I think, more than anything else, is important only for that reason. Because I don't think that For the Uniform really sold that enough. And really convinced me that Cisco would be this obsessed with Eddington. Whereas in this episode, I buy it more. Yeah. One of the things this episode did clarify, because we were saying, oh, he's the leader of the Machina. This episode seems to imply that, you know, all right, on his time at DS9, maybe he was working for the Maquis when he made the gift of this industrial replicator and fully That's effective. When, yeah. Yeah. Shortly after that, maybe they were looking for a leader and suddenly, you know, he'd just done something big and – you know, so he was, you know, frankly, he'd only been the leader for a short time before getting arrested. Yeah, I mean, how, how about crazy? About a year? How crazy would that have been? Yeah, I think about a year, maybe less than that. Um, yeah, how crazy would that have been if the Maquis actually had uh, declared themselves an independent nation with Eddington as their president? Right. And uh, now Cisco has to deal with that. That uh, would have been an interesting way yeah! to go. But, yeah, alas, it did not happen. Oh, well. Uh I, there's one other thing that I want to talk about, which is uh, the the scene in the uh, in the shuttlecraft about the replicator. Yeah, and that's a, so. Now, number one, I want I want to to side note for a bit. So you told me about a novel that you read, which has freshers in it. Yes, and but one of the other points of that's, that is that's they, the name of the bathroom. I don't know why <laughs> they call it that, and I hate it every time I read it. But they, um, I kind of hate Star Trek novels in general, even though I read all of them. But anyway, now you said they were talking about how the replicated food is bad, right? Like what? Yeah. So I know, and I don't know that I like this direction. Y- well, one of you know, and <laughs> so I know Eric and I, you know, talked about that ourselves, and like we kind of feel like. You know, it's more like, you know, cafeteria food or something like that. Like, it's still good food. It tastes fine. You know, it's a prepared food. You're not going to get the artistry. You know, maybe it won't be quite as fresh the ingredients, you know. But, 
you know, you're never, you know, you may get tired of eating it, but at the end of the day, it's still pretty good fine food. Right. You know, which makes sense to me, but. And, and now we have, Eddington. now, of course, Eddington is just kind of giving a dig at Cisco yeah. because Eddington doesn't like anything Federation and wants to take any opportunity to, to insult it. But at no, the same got- time, I do believe that, you know, a replicated food versus Cisco making it, I mean, the you know, there won't be a comparison. One of the, I mean, this is kind of a side note, but one of the most interesting things about um, replicators that I ever read, and I don't remember where I read it. <laughs> uh, it may have been on like a message board or something. Who knows? But uh, someone said something about like uh, uh, would would replicated food come out the same every time? Yeah. And and someone that made this really good point that said uh, that they could essentially change the quantum state of the matter every single time so that it wouldn't come out the same. So that if like you know you had a rice dish, yeah, like the theory, or like was a piece like, of st- you know you replicate a steak, is it going to look it, 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 the right. same shape and size? Exactly. Or? Like there's there's a way to do it so that it wouldn't look and taste the same every single time but i mean also maybe there's a i mean number one and i think this is a suggestion of how we're feeling about this episode that we're having this conversation but like fast food restaurants today try to strive for a certain consistency from pro you know from day to day and pro and sandwich to sandwich so number one you could see a version of the replicator which strove for consistency to even that you know tiny yeah. of a degree on the other hand, they could, you know, you order a 12-ounce steak. Well, maybe it has a dozen kinds of 12-ounce steak, and it randomly gives you, you know, a different shape. So, you know, you're not going to notice it, the difference between, you know, you're not going to notice that you ate the same one twice. But Right. And, I mean, let's be honest, too. I mean, in a, in a, in a universe where nobody goes hungry, I, I don't know if it's all that salient uh, a, 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 a criticism to say that the food doesn't taste as good as it could. Do you know what I mean? Like Eddington's point to me seems a little churlish because, yeah, I guess it would be nice if everyone was eating like fresh pasta with fresh tarragon grown in your own garden every single night. But people don't do that now. And a lot of the food that I eat is not great. I mean, I'm not a great cook, but I cook my food every single night because I, you know, don't have that much money. And well, you know, I, you know, I mean, can't afford to eat out all the time. But well, so my, like, my understanding is that, you know, and, and, and let's face it, you know, most people, we also don't know, again, we don't know what life is like on, on earth, you know, necessarily maybe on earth things are so that you can go out to Cisco's dad's restaurant every night or, you know, you can grow tarragon in your garden, you know, either way. I mean, I assume that, you know, in a, number one, in a society without, you know, money, certainly it's not, you know, your finances aren't going to stop you from going to a nice restaurant. Yes. And um, for the, for most of the characters that we see who are, you know, who are Starfleet people, I mean, people, you, you don't join the military in the real world for the food. You know, the food is just functional. Well, that's always, that's, yeah. that's the other thing, too. I mean, it always seemed to me that, 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 you know, at least on the, the, the let's call them the core Federation yeah. planets, you know, everybody has a replicator in their kitchen the same way yeah. everybody has a microwave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it. Like, and, it tastes like microwaved food. You know, and, and I mean, I don't have a microwave, but I'd probably have a replicator because that would be a lot cooler. Uh, but, you know, also, like, I think that probably they also still grow food and people yeah. probably still cook. Well, that's where Cisco comes in. I mean, like, again, people on the on the show don't really seem to – and. I don't think they necessarily complain that much about replicated food because how many different dishes are there? You know, if you right. you'll find one you like, and then you know if Cisco's cooking for you, that's a special treat. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I guess let's just talk about the because I really like Nog in this episode. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> he likes squid, which I suppose makes sense. Yeah, and also um, Jake doesn't like beetle food or whatever. Yeah, he doesn't like the tube grubs. 
I like that he stands up to Martok in a way that Martok respects. Cause yeah. I mean, that though, no, I love Martok. I mean, you said that, you know, when I said, oh, I'm, I hope he's going to be a recur, you said, yeah, he is, and I like him. I like him, too. Like, he has a very... One of the things I've always felt about Martok is he has a very specific integrity, you know? Again, yes. Again, he noticed, you know, Worf's bravery, Worf's honor, you know, irrespective of any situations Worf's ever been. He'd see all these sees as a Klingon acting like a Klingon and nobly. So, I mean, in this case, he knows, you know, Nog is in no way going to be able to, you know, physically best you know, Martok. But at the same time, he is wielding authority and he is actually, you know— at, his Nog's very uniform in position give him authority. For the most of the episode, he's nervous to wield it. But what he, he's showing, you know, what he is showing to Martok is that he is using his authority, and that Martok does respect. Yeah, and also the fact that I think Nog is willing to poke fun at himself a little bit. Yeah, you know, I mean, that always is a good way to get a Klingon on your good side. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was a nice little moment. I mean, I think that, that Nog is coming into his own as a character very nicely. Both these are good Nog episodes, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, I think it's a nice little story. I mean, I don't, you know, I think that this episode probably needed that. I mean, I don't yeah. know that it would have been good if it was, like, for the uniform or there was just no B story whatsoever. So, yeah. So, yeah, it was good. And Morn flips out behind the scenes. Sure, that, why? I, I know you hate Morn, but I love Morn. I don't hate Morn. I just don't know why everybody loves him so much. Well, that's just because he's great. Okay. Let's let's talk about Empok Nor. Or as I like to call it, Empok Nope. You don't like it? That's all right. See, I feel like this episode what this was a redundant episode. This okay. episode was equal parts attention Bajoran workers and the ship, both of which I really liked as episodes. This episode didn't really uh Attention Bajoran workers did a very good job of here's a booby-trapped station and here's danger at every corner. Uh, the ship did a better, better job of what it's like to lose people under your command and the seriousness of that. This, I felt, didn't do either very well, and I'm not really sure what it did. Okay. I mean, I agree with you. I think that the episode forgets that they established the fact that there should be booby traps everywhere very quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, there's like one or two and then that's it. I mean, the main one is these, uh, super soldiers or whatever, which yeah, we should talk which about. I guess is all right. But well, I, I, I'm kind of with you and I kind of am not with you. I mean, I think that, I think comparing it to the ship is probably not that fair to either episode. I mean, I didn't like the mm. ship very much. You liked it more than I did, but in this episode, at least, you know, the only real characters that we care about are Nog and Miles and, and Garrick. I mean, it's pretty obvious that yeah. there are those three characters and then four random engineers and maybe that are that probably was, not going to come through at the end of the day. And that was part of it, too. Like, I, there was a degree of, I'm just waiting for these four people to die, like, because they're... they're uh, I uh, mean, I, I look they're at... They're red shirts, yeah. I look at this episode as... You know, as a as a horror episode. I mean, yeah. I, I don't look at it as but anything it more than that. But I guess I didn't find it successful as a horror episode either. The one scene when um, uh, uh, the woman gets attacked and the guy's being pulled through the like that was that was effective when uh, O'Brien goes and everybody's like hanging from the walls. That was an effective scene, but. Like more of that would have been good if this, if you just wanted to make a straight up horror episode. 
like cuz I, I I I think that I mean I'm with you to some degree. I yeah. mean I I I like this episode mostly because I find it entertaining, but and I also like to see Garrett kind of chew the scenery. But at the yeah. end of the day, you do have to remember that. And I'm not saying that this is a reason for them to do this or not to do this because maybe they shouldn't do this if they can't do it well. Yeah. But in the same way that maybe they shouldn't do romances if they can't do romances in yeah. an adult fashion because sometimes this show aired at four o'clock in the afternoon. That I don't know that they could have. I think that all of the creative staff behind this, and I should say that again, this was a story by Brian Fuller, uh, not written by him. The teleplay was not written by him, the story was his. That they did as good a job as they could yeah. with the horror stuff given the constraints that they were under, which is that the show was aired at wildly different times across the country. Do I doubt but, that the show could have pulled off a much scarier and creepier version yeah, of this episode? and one that no, wouldn't. No, not at all. I don't doubt that at all. But I think we have, I mean, and that is a failing of the episode for sure. But I think that they did as good a job as they could have with the limitations that they were placed under. I'm not necessarily sure I agree on that. I mean, I think there were a lot of ways that you, you know, Certainly, you couldn't have done a gorier episode, you know. Given, well, I just but like I mean, a... I th- I think there could have been a lot more paranoid sense of it. I mean, really, until Garrick starts getting taken over, like, and that's all. That's all. That's all. Andrew Robinson, who is you know doing a great job of being terrifying. But... I, I do. I do wonder, and I, you know, I, I'm not generally a fan of going down the road of trying to fix the episode, yeah, of but. Course. I do wonder if it would have been more effective if there were no super soldiers. Because they're and if almost, yeah. And if Garrick and if you know the, the booby trap was essentially if there's a Cardassian with people, let's let's put out this gas that makes him paranoid yeah. and then, you know, people start dying. And you don't know who's killing them. Yeah. Like, I think that might have been a little. And, and it turns out, of course, that it's Garrick killing them. Maybe that would have been a little too far. Maybe we can't have Garrick kill four people. Maybe one is enough. Maybe that's a bridge too far for the show Maybe. and for the character, and we couldn't get past that. I don't know. But it kind of feels like they, they showed their hand too early with the soldiers. And then, of course, we see them, and it's not that it's not really that scary because— We've seen Cardassians before. We've seen Cardassians <laughs> before, and also, frankly, we don't care about the characters that are being killed. Yeah, like the show does. This episode does try to establish them in some sort of personality. I mean, you've got the one guy who likes to collect medals, and you've got the Bolian who's scared, and you know. But at the end of the day, it's it's five minutes of characterization for yeah. for for characters that we've never seen before and we'll never see again because they're all dead at the end of the episode. Now, plenty of horror movies do that, but yes, they also, but they also but they work because they put the focus on the villain. Well, you know? and also, and also, frankly, because they have thirty to forty-five minutes of character development before the killing usually starts. But also, like, I mean, I'm thinking about like Friday the Thirteenth movies, for example, which do give you know about as much characterization as these people got because you know, let's face yeah, it, yeah, well, not. right. But, but you know, but, 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 but the focus is, is the, how, but the, the focus is how cool Jason is, and you know, the creativity well, I, of the. I, I would I would disagree with that at least for the early Friday the Thirteenth movies, fair. but I would say that it's not really about the quality of the characterization it's about the volume of the characterization maybe and you know i'm certainly not saying that the characters in friday the 13th movies are fantastic characters but you do hang out with them for a while that's fair a while like 30 minutes or so before the killing starts that will make you appreciate the fact that they're dying more than if you just hang out with them for five minutes yeah 
you know, I maybe it's just hard to tell this type of of of, of horror story in forty five minutes. Maybe, yeah. I mean, maybe if they had had, if we'd seen one, you know, one or two even of these characters around, like the the blue guy, you know, very distinctive. If we'd seen him in a couple episodes, if we'd seen him helping uh, O'Brien out with something, for example, maybe we would have remembered him from last episode, and then it would be a shock because yeah, yeah. Think, All right, well, he's a character. You know, they're not going to kill him. I mean, I do think that also it may have not been a bad idea to have Nog sort of get attacked and get away or or something. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. It just it feels like the stakes are not high enough. And maybe that would be the way that, you know, you find out, you know, if, if the mystery that it is Garrick, you know, that could be how Nog finds out. You know, finally he gets attacked and, you know, I was attacked. It was Garrick. <gasps> Yeah. We have a better episode than this in our heads. Well, I think that, I mean, the setup for the episode is interesting. I like the idea of O'Brien deciding to go to Mpachnor to, to strip it for parts, essentially. You know, that makes sense. Uh, I, I like the the way that they're, I mean, I always like the show when they do different things with the set. And they're obviously yeah. doing different things with the set. I mean, it is um, it is kind of similar to what they do when they go back to Tarek Noor, but... It's obviously abandoned. It's dark. Yeah. They do a really good job of lighting this episode. I think that the 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 cinematography, especially in this episode, yeah. is is really good. Um, you know, unfortunately, I was watching it in the middle of the day, uh, when, on a really sunny day, um, so I couldn't get the full effect. But I've seen it before, so I know. But at the end of the day, it's it's kind of I don't know. I feel like is this the there's there's too many. Like, I, I find it entertaining. I don't really have a problem with it. But yeah. I think this is one of those episodes where the more you talk about it and the more you think about it, it falls apart. Because, you know, they're going to an abandoned Cardassian space station that they know has a lot of booby traps. Like, why wouldn't Cisco insist that they bring a security team? Yeah. You know, like... Why do they just bring three people? Why do they just bring three people? Like, what? Like what is going on here? And I guess Nog is supposed to be secure. Like, I don't know. The whole thing is very strange. I mean... But, I mean, like, Nog is even... Nog seems like a last-minute addition with the way that he's introduced in this. Yes. And onto the mission, so it seems like he was bugging Cisco until the very last second, almost. So, or O'Brien, I guess. You know, or somebody. Somebody, yeah. I mean, I do, I do wonder, like, okay, so in the last episode, he was assigned to security, and then at the beginning of this episode, he's helping O'Brien in engineering again. Like, what, I don't is, know. what that, is he that, actually doing? That sense I actually got was that he's hanging out with O'Brien almost on his own time, you know, because what he's saying, like, oh, my father says you're so smart and anybody can hang with you, you know, and he's just kind of, you know, O'Brien, oh, I need to fix the thing. Oh, I'll come with you. And, you know, he's just like, all right, fine. You know, I don't think he necessarily minds Nog's presence, but I think this is Nog kind of kiss assing himself. I, I suppose that could be true, yeah. Though, to be fair, you know, Nog himself is very ambitious and would want to learn a little bit of everything, I think, at this point, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to talk more about Nog, but but let's let's dispense with the, the Impocnor stuff. I mean, the other question I'm always left with at the, at the end of this episode is, why do the Cardassians booby-trap their stations? Well, I mean, part why of— Why don't they just blow them yeah. up? So— <laughs> Like, what if— That was the—you know, be, this episode, I couldn't quite— figure out like and i think they wanted to leave it a little ambiguous but didn't quite do it so the sense that i get is that this is a place that's experimenting on these cardassians it it goes a little wronger than they want to but instead of terminating the subjects they freeze them and keep them as the booby trap is that what the 
I guess. Because, like, that didn't... They never answered that question. Yeah. You don't get the sense is, you know, I don't get the sense if this was just a, you know, maybe they were doing this experiment on these soldiers. They had them in cryo just right. to, uh, you know, while they were running tests or something, and then the facility was abandoned maybe quickly. Uh, I mean, it seems to me like, you know... We don't know where Empoknor is, although it doesn't seem that far away. And they it mentions they mention Dominion territory. Yeah, and it's in like a sector that the Cardassians don't think is that important right. anymore, which is how they can do this. But you know, essentially, it sounds to me like maybe they were running these tests there. Maybe they weren't. I don't know. Well, one but, of the you know, I have to say this sounds like Dominion tech to a degree. Like this is like the kind of shit the founders do, creating some weird. I mean. Yeah. Think yeah. about the stuff like creating the virus from the quickening or the uh or what they've done to the Jem'Hadar for example. Creating using chemical using psychotropic drugs to create super soldiers that are just going to kill that I don't know. That sounds like one of those dark science that they would do. I guess yeah. I mean I can certainly see that point. I mean one of the I don't th- yeah, I don't one know. One of the th- one of the I mean they do try and sell it. I mean Garrick says that they're kind of like the 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 craziest part of the Cardassian yeah. military and you know all that kind of stuff and he obviously would know. I I wonder if you know we're calling them super soldiers. They're not really super no. soldiers. Like they just have this paranoid tendency and they're just murdering people left and right. But, you know, why is that interesting? I mean, like, what is why that? Why is that useful if they're not super soldiers? I mean, I think the, uh, I don't know. I guess. Yeah. Like, yeah. Why? why Maybe would they were that? trying to do a super, you know. Why would that be useful? I-, I could see why it would be useful to have, you know, uh, something that keeps them calm during battles, something that, you know, keeps their aim steady, something that, you know, keeps them awake for a lot of it. Like, there are, there are certainly, you know science fiction drugs that we would want you know that and i guess we're that's a problem though is that we're filling in a lot of the gaps that the episode should have done for us and again i think i think they wanted to go for mysterious and ambiguous and we never quite figured out what was going on in Pacnor. but at the end of the day it just combined with the episode in general it feels like i don't want to say lazy writing but that's the closest i can come to well let's um Let's talk about Garrick and O'Brien because I, I think that their relationship in this episode uh, is problematic. And it's okay. a lot more combative than it needs to be. I don't really know why Garrick is needling O'Brien so much about Setlick 3. I hmm. don't know why O'Brien would put up with it. And it doesn't really seem to gel with Garrick's character. And they've made a couple of questionable Garrick characterization choices this season. I think, um, I forget the name of the episode, but uh, it was the one where they go back in time again, or they they seem to when they're back on Terranor. Garrick seemed to be very, very xenophobic and very sort of like hating of Bajorans, which seemed to be relevant for the episode, but didn't really seem to jive with the character that has been portrayed. Now we're getting... Uh, uh, a Garrick, which is being really, really fucking rude. I mean, it's, and it's it's strange. It's the kind of thing where you can see him mentioning it once in the early part of the episode. O'Brien getting pissed off, and then he's done. And then once the drugs comes in, that's all Garrick can talk about. You know, that would be one thing. Once the once he gets the stuff on his hand, that's you know all bets are off. He can be going to any angle he wants, but. 
he does it several times before that happens. Yeah, and it just feels like the kind of thing that Garrick would not bring up. I mean, I, I don't know what he's getting out of bringing it up. He's Garrick, to me, is always the kind of character that is that is polite to your face to a fault. And, yes, he has a lot of schemes, and we don't know what the hell he's thinking half mm-hmm. the time. Maybe he has some sort of weird you know, plan in his head. But... He doesn't need to disconcert. Uh, yeah, what what is his right what now. is his end game here? Like, does he not have one? Like, that seems very uncharacteristic for Garrick as well. Yeah. And what is his end game if he does have one? Like, why does he want to unnerve O'Brien? What is he getting out of it? Is he bored? <laughs> All I know is you say you know po- he's polite to your face to the fault, and I'm thinking of the moment when he talks to the women from the founders and she essentially says, we're going to completely destroy Cardassia. Right. And he says, okay, thank you. And you know, he's being very courteous and graceful during that line. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things about, you know, being a, 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 you know, kind of a a staff writer on a television show or, or being sort of the producer or whatever is that, you know, at least this is how it used to work. I don't know if it still works like this, but a lot of times you get these scripts from people and then you sort of have to rewrite a lot of the dialogue to make the characters sound like the characters yeah. that, that have come before. And, you know, that, that happens a lot. I, I wonder, I don't know, it just seems to me like maybe they didn't do that to Garrick. Like, mm. you know, like it's it's weird that he's so rude and it's weird that he's so bizarrely mannered in this episode and it's weird that he keeps bringing up Set Link 3. And yeah, I mean, of course, once the psychotropic drugs set in and he's very paranoid and he's starting to go around and murdering people and it's obviously to set up the the battle with him between um, O'Brien and Garrick at the end of the episode and O'Brien gets the better of him because he's like, I'm not a fighter anymore. I'm an engineer. Blue, you know, it's all fine. But it just it feels like they, they had the resolution in mind and they wanted a way to get there. Yes. And it doesn't feel true to the characters. Yeah, because that hasn't been something that. O'Brien hasn't been dealing with that for a while. This is the O'Brien from oh god, what is the TNG episode with the old captain? His old captain, the wounded. This is the O'Brien from the wounded. Yeah, that O'Brien, you know, certainly has conflicts between being an engineer and being a soldier, and him, you know, saying I'm an engineer is, you know, a very strong statement for that O'Brien. But this one, this is one that we know is an engineer. Yeah, and, and 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 I mean, you know, to to be frank as well, I think O'Brien has had so many traumas in his life ever since then that you know, he's got a lot of other things on his mind. This I is mean, let's not yeah. forget this is the guy that was like in a in a fake prison for. 30 oh my years. god! Yeah, I did forget. This is not a torture O'Brien episode. That no, was friends with torture O'Brien episodes, and maybe if it had full on been a torture O'Brien episode, it would have been better too, because it pulls punches in a way. It does pull punches in a way. Yeah, and I think that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of different ways the episode could have gone. I mean, and it doesn't seem to work very well, I guess, is what it really comes down to. Yeah. Well. I know you seem to really like Nog. I like Nog. How do you feel about Nog in this episode? I mean, he's annoying, but he's Nog. Um, <laughs> I, I I mean, I did like he's him. He's a Nogging. A Nogging. No, that's, that's just, just no. No. Um. <laughs> I, I, I guess, you know, I don't have that much more to say than, you know, what I said for the previous episode, but it's nice to see him coming into his own. It's nice. This is, again, this is a very different nog from the first season, and I very much like this show's willingness to take its characters in very different directions. You know, Picard was kind of the same from episode one till episode, you know, whatever. Um, 
Sure, he maybe softened around kids a 179, little. 179, I believe. Okay. Uh, he maybe softened slightly around kids. He became, you know, he grew into his leadership, which, you know, the very cut first couple episodes are, you know, we're going to learn how to, you know, we're going to get to know each other. Yeah. But, you know, they very quickly dispensed with that, and he's pretty much the same. All the characters are pretty much the same at the end of this. This, we can't really say that any of the characters, you know, some like Kira and Cisco have had more dramatic changes than others, but... You know, O'Brien has certainly changed. Nog has very much. Yeah, I mean, I think that Bashir's kind of different, but not really. Dax probably hasn't changed all that much. But yeah, some of the characters have obviously changed more than others. Nog is one of the most obvious examples, of course. Yeah. But I don't know. I like like where they're taking him. I think they're doing a good job at um, establishing the fact that he is working his ass off to become the best Starfleet officer that he can be. Working his lobes off. Um, and, you know, I mean, I don't know when he's going back to the academy. I assume soon. But, like, <laughs> is this his summer internship? I don't or know. Is... I think, yeah, I think they said something like they do, like, an internship in, like, year two or something. Yeah, which makes sense. Well, you know, let's justify having Nog on the show. Why yeah. not? I mean, he's a good character. <laughs> but um, Nog is in- interesting for what he stands for as far as the Ferengi are concerned. And... Again, I've generally liked what the show has done with Ferengi. I think it's it's I think they're one of the more interesting creations in the in Star Trek. And I think you know Whoa. I like them. Um You can like them. It's fine. <laughs> you don't have to whisper. Um I think you You're know, wrong, but Well, uh I mean they're not as cool as the trill, I know. <laughs> okay. I like the trill. Um I have a secret, everyone. I don't like Star Trek. Oh. <laughs> no, that's not true. Um, you don't like Klingons. You don't like Trill. You don't like Ferengi. Trill are fine. You don't like Ferengi Morn. I don't like Morn. That's true. Not that I, like I said, I don't, not that I don't like Morn. I just don't understand why everybody loves Morn so much. Because he's great. <laughs> Maybe we should just call this one. I'm yeah. tired. Okay. That, that's 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 fine. I, I, Blaze, I'll just Blaze. start talking about Morn every time I want to ep- end an episode early. Blaze of Glory, Blaze of Okay, Empok Nor, Empok Nope. That's where I'm going. Empok No, thank you. That's very polite, unlike Garrick in this episode. Yes. All right, well, if you have a comment that you would like to leave on either one of the episodes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine that we just discussed, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trekaboutshow.com. Uh, if you like our podcasts, including our other podcast, Tuning In, which released its seventh episode uh, in two days. I used the past tense, but it's not true. I'm lying. Uh, that's coming out in two days. It'll be about the Firefly episode, Janestown. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow and give us a little bit of your hard-earned money. We would very much appreciate it. And if you give us $5 a month or more, we will send you a special episode for $5 a month or more patrons every Tuesday, every first Tuesday of the month. The one that's coming out uh, next Tuesday is going to be about the classic 1950s sci-fi movie, Forbidden Planet. What? Which I think Richard forgot about. I did. Uh, Okay. We're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Trek About Show. And as always, please leave us a positive iTunes review for Trek About if you would like. We would very much appreciate it. Next week is a big week. It is the fifth season finale. Oh my God. Already. Already. Uh, this is it's, just flying it's, it's, by. Well, as you get older, things tend to be quicker. I mean, TOS seemed like it lasted for like seven years. TNG seemed like it lasted for longer than, than it did. 
And DS9 just seems like it's flying by. Well, don't worry. Voyager will make up for lost time, I'm sure. Yeah, that that's very true. Just a side note. So I, I do um, scheduling um, on, on Basecamp for the podcast. And, and please don't hack into our, our account and look and see what we're doing. Um, but, you know, I, I, I did a few more months uh, down the line um, yesterday. And uh, uh, sadly enough... I am already having the the first episode of, of Voyager scheduled, and that was a weird moment. Oh wow! When I put topic Star Trek Voyager caretaker huh. series premiere, it's just weird. It's weird for me because it feels it feels like DS Nine is really flying by very quickly. We're having a lot of fun. It is. It's good. I'm maybe glad not so much this week, but we're having a lot of fun. It's good. Well, next week is going to be good because um, these are two episodes that I like quite a bit. Uh, one of them is very strange, but I love it. Uh, and it's also directed by Michael Dorn. So that's exciting. Um, we're going to be talking about in the cards and call to arms in the cards. Is it strange one? Yes. I can't wait. Yeah. You can't wait. 